Beloved brothers and sisters, if you would please turn your copy of God's holy word to the epistle of 1 John. 1 John. We'll be looking again today at 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. We'll be focusing today on verse 5 through 7. If you would please stand for the hearing and faith of God's word. First John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. This is the word of God. This is the message that we, which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Almighty God, we thank you for this word today. We pray that as we hear this, that you will work in us the obedience of faith. O oh God, increase our faith. We yearn to have deepness of fellowship with the triune God and with the people of God. And as a result of that, as he has said previously, that we would have an overflowing of the fullness of your joy that is a light in the world. Father, that your joy would be our strength and would keep us on the narrow way of life that leads to your kingdom and your righteousness and glory. So, God, our Father, we pray today, take this word, and we pray that you would shine your light into the darkness and spaces of our hearts. Let it fill us and transform us, we pray. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, brethren. The Apostle John who wrote, who wrote this epistle, John, the elder, years before this epistle was written, he and James and Peter had gone up on a mountain with our Lord Jesus Christ. There they had seen the veil come off. They had seen the Shekinah glory come out as it shone through Jesus' flesh and the glorious effulgence of the radiance and the beauty of Almighty God shone through. And they saw it and the cloud came down and they were in the cloud. They heard the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. About 1,400 years prior to this, Moses had stood on Mount Sinai. And Moses had been invited up into the presence of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, but remember Moses was told there, unlike Peter, James, and John, Moses asked, can I see your glory? 
He wanted to see God. He, he, the Lord had been with them and he had entered in you know, into the, and uh, had fellowship with God, but he could not see God. And Moses yearned to see that glory. And you remember, remember that he was told, no man can see my face and live, but I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and make my goodness to pass before you and proclaim the name of the Lord. Even then, when Moses came down and when he would go in to the cloud afterwards, Moses would come out, and you remember, and his face shone. <laughs> but it was a temporary passing shining. And Paul tells us that he had to put a veil over his face because the people couldn't bear it. I was reminded, as I was thinking about this sermon this week, of a song related to that. You may know this from Michael Card years ago. And I think Michael just hit this idea and the theme of this text, I will add, very well. The song he wrote is called A Face That Shone. Let me read you the words to this. He ate the bread of heaven. He drank water from the rock. And the grumbling children followed like a misbegotten flock. He climbed up on a mountain they couldn't even touch. Who would have ever known that one encounter could have ever meant so much? And up on that high place in a cleft of solid stone, his face was set on fire as the God of glory shone. He alone had seen it and had lived to tell the tale. But because they feared the fire, he had to hide behind the veil. A face that shone with the radiance of the Father, though it had known and endured dark desert days. A face that shone with the glory of another, so the prophet would discover as the glory was fading away. He was the bread from heaven. He would be that smitten rock. He had 12 confused disciples. They were his bewildered flock. When he climbed up on the mountain, he took Peter, James, and John, and in the face of pending glory, they soon began to yawn. As he prayed while they were sleeping, he was transfigured into light. His face a flash of lightning, his clothes so burning bright. So Moses... Moses finally saw the face that before he'd hidden from. Then came a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son. But you and me, we tend to flee from shining faces. We see the glow and then we know that we're undone. They shine his light into our emptiest of spaces and with their bright and shining faces, they reflect the radiance of the sun. The face that shone is the glory of the Father, and he had known from the start that it was so. The face that shone had let the light shine out of darkness, and we are changed into his likeness as we gaze upon the sun. Brethren, I, that, that's John's point. The call for you and me today that he is calling these saints to, and you and me to, as it were, would be to Look at Jesus, <laughs> to abide in the light. Because as we're going to see today, you and I have had that veil taken away in Christ. You and I who are in Jesus have been given new eyes whereby we can look upon the Son and not be undone, but rather be transformed. And that makes all the difference in the world. What I want you to see today, what John wants you to see, is that our God 
who he describes here as pure light. He has shone into the darkness of the world through his son Jesus, who is the light of the world, and that Jesus now shines within us, in our hearts, in our lives, to show forth the light of the glory of God into the darkness. So brethren, let's consider two things today. Number one, I want to consider what John says here about the truth about God. And number two, I'd have us to consider the truth about fellowship with God. Number one, you look at verse five, John just says there, this is the message that we have heard from him and we declare to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Now, brethren, as we consider this statement that God is light, the reason this matters is because we're going to see in a moment, when we get to point two, but I'll just give you a, a heads up here. He's going to, the key of John's emphasis today is on this issue of fellowship. Back in the verse, first four verses, he had started by telling us about this word of life, this eternal life, which was from the beginning, which we have seen and heard and our hands have handled. We've looked upon concerning the word of life. That word, well, that life was manifested. And we have seen and declare it to you, that eternal life which was with the Father. But John said there that the point of that manifestation, the reason why they told him was then so that you, in hearing the church of Jesus Christ, that you would have fellowship with them. With the apostles, by implication, you would have fellowship with the people of God. The communion of the people, the church, wherein the true light dwells. And that in having fellowship with the people of God, you would have fellowship with God the Father and with the Son. That's verse 3, right? So that your joy may be full. So John is preeminently concerned about this issue of fellowship. The goal of hearing these truths about Jesus is that is the end of 1 John, you remember 5.13, it said that you would continue to believe in Jesus and that in continuing in faithfulness and believing and trusting in Jesus, you would have eternal life. You would inherit eternal life. So it's perseverance in the face of heresy, both doctrinal, we talked about the docetist and heresy and the idea that there were those they were running rampant, these antichrists that were already, John says, coming around as Jesus had predicted. We're going to read more about that in chapter 2 when we get there. But they were already on the scene. Jesus had talked about this in Matthew 24. And he says, that time is now. The end of the ages is, is the end of the old covenant age is upon us. The transition to the new and everlasting covenant is, is coming. It's imminent. And the parousia of the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment and he says there that since this light is already shining, that it is imperative that the people of God not be deceived by the false doctrine. Those that were saying that, you know, that Jesus wasn't really flesh. We're going to see more about that in chapter 4. But the idea why John put so much emphasis at the beginning, we beheld, we touched, we saw, was because the doctrine being taught was that he was just pure spirit. Right, that This dualism that God is concerned about the spiritual realm, the pure ethereal spirit, but he's not interested in redeeming the material. 
John's going to have none of that. Our Lord Jesus rose bodily to redeem the material creation. All of it. But he's also concerned that they not be led astray by false teachers with regard to morality. Because there were those, as we're going to see, that were in the midst saying that it didn't matter. You know, since, since it doesn't matter what goes on in the body, the docetists would say, Therefore, it doesn't matter how you live, whether you practice righteousness or not, right? Well, in chapter 3, John's going to take that on. No, God actually, because your temple is the whole body of the Holy Spirit, therefore God is preeminently concerned about what you do in the body, whether we practice righteousness or not. But John's point is that the goal is that you must be in fellowship with the true people of God, where the light is. And so that's why when we get to this text, John's preeminent concern is to say, look, if the goal is fellowship with the true living God and with His people, then verse 5, here's what you need to know. Number one, you need to understand the truth about this God that you say we're supposed to be having fellowship with. And the truth you need to know is simply this. He says that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. Brethren, there's no gray here. <laughs> John is not making a, a, you know, God is broadly light. He is saying God in His fundamental essence, His being, He is light. That is to say, He is completely light. He cannot be other. It's impossible that there could be any darkness in God at all. God's not even capable of willing such a thing. God is what He is. Completely and consistently. He doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, we're told, in, in, I think it's Amos, he says, I, the Lord, your God, do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O Israel. And, God's, and he wants you to see that the God that we have come into fellowship with and his son, Jesus Christ, is light. No darkness. But what does light mean? I mean, you and I can visualize that. I, I can look up here and I can see lights. You know, but what, what is this metaphor? What does he mean by saying God is light? I'm going to say that the, the emphasis primarily with this phrase light is on the idea of, of this, what the Scripture calls glory. Right. Glory is kind of like the overarching word. God, the God with whom we are called into fellowship, is the perfection of of glory. That glory, we might say, could be summarized in different categories, like truth, beauty, goodness. Right? We, we can look at these things and, you know, that the God that we worship is, uh, he, he, he is a God who is full, we're, we're told that He is life, and this light causes things to be exposed, but the key emphasis is glory. The manifold perfection of God and His character is always in Scripture associated with visible representations, right? That's why Moses couldn't look upon the glory of God. It's because you can't see God for who He is because God is that perfect. He is that beautiful. He is that true. And our eyes are sinful by nature. So as we think about these things, I was thinking about the Westminster Larger Catechism, right? 
What, you know, you say that God is light and there's no darkness at all. God is the eternal I am, the unchanging God, who is a spirit in and of himself, in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things. He is most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Brethren, that is glory. That is light. When we think about this idea of glory, I said I want to focus on the ideas of truth, beauty, and goodness primarily. We're told with regard to this idea first of glory and the beauty of God, the beauty of God manifested in Christ. John 1, you remember it says, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth the overarching truth the god who is true and him there's no untruth whatsoever god who is perfection we beheld it in christ i like the definition if you look on the front of your orders of worship there was a quote from Sam Storms. I, I think he hits this right on the head. I'm, I do know better than just to quote this. He says, what is glory? You might say by implication, what is light? Glory is the beauty of God unveiled. Glory is the resplendent radiance of His power and His personality. Glory is all of God that makes God God. And shows him to be worthy of our praise and our boasting and our trust and our hope and our confidence and our joy. Glory is the external elegance of the internal excellencies of God. That's well said. Glory is what you see and experience and feel when God goes public with his beauty. The term glory refers to the visible splendor of moral beauty of God's manifold perfections. The glory of God is the exhibition of His inherent excellence. It is the external manifestation of His internal majesty. And therefore, to glorify God is to declare, draw attention to, or publicly announce and advertise His glory by the way that we live. So this idea of God is light, first of all, and overarching is that He is glorious in all of His manifold perfections of character. It also has the idea, this idea of light also has the idea of life or goodness. Life, you remember scripturally, is the essence of a living being. We were told at the beginning that um, this is, that what was manifested to you was that eternal life, which is with the Father. And he speaks there at the beginning of 1 John of this word of life. We're told in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, that in Jesus was life, and that life of God, that eternal life, the essence of God, in him was life, and the life was the light. So the life of Jesus is actually the thing which is his light, which and the life was the light of men, and the light, the life of Jesus shines forth in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it or could not understand it. It's the idea. So, light of God, God is light, is saying that God has eternal 
both in duration of life as well as the eternal quality of godness, which is the manifold essence of his perfections. Jesus said in John 5, verse 21 and following, that the Father has life in himself, and, he is, and that the Son also has life in himself, and that the Jesus, the Son, gives that life of God to all to whom he wills. To partake of God's divine life, Jesus says there in John 5, is to honor and to love the Father and the Son, and it means that you will not come into judgment or condemnation if you're in that light and in the Son. It also means, as we're going to see, that you will judge righteously because you not only are in the light, but you become light. More on that in a minute. The third thing to see here is that light is glory, light is life, but it's also Light is judgment, right? Why don't you turn again to John chapter 3. Turn to John, uh, the gospel of John chapter 3. Probably the best way I could put this is just let Jesus' words answer for themselves. Again, this is a familiar passage. We know John three sixteen. God loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him, trusts in Him fully, would have not perish, but have everlasting life. But then look at verse 18. He who believes in Him is not condemned. So he who believes in Him who is light is not condemned. But he who does not believe, does not trust in Jesus, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. But men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. They cover it. They hide from the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. So you see the idea is that the condemnation of those who perish is because they will not trust in, believe what is true, and put their trust in Jesus, who is the light of the world. They flee from the light because their deeds are evil. Because Jesus' light shines on them and exposes them. You can't run from that. When the light of Christ comes to bear... Casts out and it exposes darkness. The darkness does not overcome it. It doesn't understand it. But there's a choice. Light means judgment. It means a declaration of is this righteous or unrighteous? Right? Light exposes things. It shows things that are hidden in darkness and brings them into light so that the judgment can be rightly rendered. Is this good or evil? Is this godly or ungodly? Righteous or unrighteous? Is it light or darkness? Just remember, a good analogy of this I've heard, you know, the same light, same sunshine, that I can take a piece of wax and I can put it in the sunshine, and what happens to the wax? It begins to get soft and melt, right? Or butter. <laughs> but if I take a piece of, if I take some clay or some dirt that's a little wet and I put it in the sunshine for a while, what happens? Does it start to melt? It gets hard and impenetrable, crusty, useless. The point is the same light 
is the light. The difference is the substance and the heart that it's showing on, right? If you have a heart that is righteous, that loves what is good, because you've been born of God, then when the light shines there, it exposes your deeds that they are good, that you are one who loves light and walks in light, or it exposes you as one who is like mud that's going to get all hard and dry and useless when it gets put in the sun. So brethren, as we consider then this fact that God is light, that we're called into fellowship with light, I just want to challenge you here as we get moved to the second point. Consider that the God that we serve, that you and I are called into fellowship, is still the holy, holy God. His light, He is still a consuming fire. He is not changed one bit in the glory and the effulgent radiance of His character. The only way that you and I can dwell in the presence and have fellowship with this holy God is if you are covered with the robes of righteousness with Jesus, right? What happens to you if you go out with not much swimsuit on and you go out and lay in the sun all afternoon? Most of you. Well, if you do that for a while, you're going to come back and be beat red, right? The sun's not going to be very kind to you. <laughs> but if I'm covered, you know, not only am I not going to get a sunburn, but I can work effectively in that light. I can look at the light with the new eyes of the Lord. A couple years ago, we had, um, you remember, we had the big um, eclipse come through here. Anybody see that? I remember standing at Samaritan Ministries on the back patio just on the day that came over. And we were all in the back and, you know, we had the, we had those special glasses that you, you could, we could actually look up and see it because the glasses would uh, remove the, remove the, I don't remember the details. I'm not a scientist, but the glasses to make it, I could look up and see the eclipse. You know, as we dwell in the light of God and the radiance, brethren, as we look at Jesus and live in his light, there is a level at which, you know, the Lord Jesus has given us new eyes so that we can see and not be burned. We can see and not be blinded by his light. So just consider, brethren, I, I want you to, to know and to believe and to draw near to the Lord, but we can only do that if you are covered in Christ. You can only do that if Jesus has given you new eyes. Secondly, let's consider then the truth about fellowship with God, verse 6 and 7a. John speaks here of a familial unity as well as a functional fellowship and unity. I want to focus, first of all, on the, what I'm going to call the familial fellowship of being light. And we'll talk about the, the fellowship of walking in that light. John has told us already in his gospel that that which is of flesh begets flesh. That which is of the Spirit begets spirit. He's told us things that God is a father of lights or that life begets light. Think back to John chapter 1, just a couple examples again. I know we've been there a lot, but you remember we're told there by, the, by John in John 1 that this light, Jesus, came into the world and He gives light to everyone who comes into the world. It says He came into the world, but the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, as many as received the light and walked in the light, to them He gave the right to become children of God, 
to those who believe in his name, and they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of man, but they were born of God, begotten of God. So brethren, the idea is, Jesus says later in John 3, you know, unless a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he can't see the things of the kingdom of heaven, right? You must be born again, born from above. So, the first thing that to be said is that if we're going to have fellowship with the God who is light, we must be born of God so that His light makes us light. James 1, 17, you don't need to turn there, but let me just read this. You remember James 1, chapter 7, verse 17, he says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And that Father of lights, it says, in Him, verse 18, of His own will, that Father of lights brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. So what James is saying there is that the Father of lights, who is light, He gives birth to children, as it were, spiritually, who are lights as well, who share His light and His life. You and I, brethren, we have received of the fullness of God. If you are in Christ then you have received of Jesus. Remember John 1, 16. He says, of His fullness, we, and of His fullness we have all received and grace for grace. So if you're in Christ, not only has the tabernacle of God come and dwelt in your midst, and we have beheld His glory full of grace and truth, but in verse 16, John says, and of that fullness you and I have received. That gets me excited. It's one thing to say that the glory of God has come and dwelt in our midst. Amen. And we have beheld it astounding. And we were not consumed. But then he says that of that glory you and I have received. Grace upon grace. So we are therefore partakers of the divine nature. Again, that doesn't mean that we are gods. Let me give you one more passage. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. This is an astounding thing Peter says. I'll read verse 2 through 4. 2 Peter 1, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, even as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of Him, that is Jesus, who called us, but you notice how He called us there. He called us by glory and virtue. That word virtue there literally has the idea of, of, of majesty, moral excellence that shines forth. It's, it's a word you don't see much in the Greek. Jesus called you and I, brethren, unto His eternal glory, and the path that he called us on is one by means of glory and virtue, majesty. And then John and Peter goes on and he tells us what that looks like. The Lord has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Brethren, I want you to believe the word of God. <laughs> We are not little gods, but brethren, the Almighty, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and Father of lights dwells in you, and His Spirit dwells in you, 
and that he has imparted to you his life. The very life of God is what is in you if you're in Christ. And therefore, you are partakers, as Peter says, of the divine nature. And that's why he goes on then and talks about adding to your faith and so on to, shore, to make sure what is already true about you. So that means then that we share in God's glory. And not only presently, but the end for us is that we will be glorified, right? Those whom he called, these he also justified, Paul says. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. John's going to tell us in 1 John chapter 3, Brethren, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And he says, It has not yet been revealed what exactly we shall be. But this we know, that when we see him with our own eyes, we will be like him. We will be fully conformed in fullness as we already are in part. And therefore, having been made glorious as that, he says, everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself now even as he is pure. That means he walks in light. He strives to become more light, to get rid of darkness because that's the way the God that we serve is, brethren. And so we share in his life, we share in his glory, and we will also share, as we said, in his judgment. Think about that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that, do you not know that we will judge the world? Brethren, he says we're going to judge angels. And presently, in the previous chapter, chapter 5, Paul says that we already judge rightly within the house of God. Brethren, because you and I are light, because the light of Christ is in you, your life, whether you like it or not, your life is going to expose the lives of people around you. It's going to cast light into their darkness. I love the way Paul put this in 2 Corinthians 2. He describes the ministry there of reconciliation. He says, we are like, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though the Lord was pleading through us. And then he, in chapter 2, verse 17, though, he says this, is that our lives and our message are like a fragrance. Those of you who like essential oils, this is what he's talking about. It's like a diffuser, right? We diffuse the fragrance of Christ everywhere we go. Now, some people smell that fragrance of Christ on coming, illuminating from your life. They see that light. They smell the fragrance, and he says to them, it's like a smell of death. You know? They're sitting there thinking, man, what essential oil? This, this must be dirty sock or something, right? Yeah. Others, they smell the fragrance of life on you, of Jesus and his light coming out of you, and to them it is life. What an aroma. What delight. Brethren, Jesus tells you and me, you are the light of the world. Why are you the light of the world? Because the light of the world, Jesus, is in you, shining through you, and therefore let your light shine by your good works done in Jesus' name so that people will come and glorify your Father in heaven. But whether you like it or not, brethren, people are either going to love you or hate you if you are walking in Christ. 
we tend to have a polarizing effect on people, do we not? I want you to embrace that. I want you to embrace what you are. Walking in the light of Christ gives us the courage, the faith to say, you know what, my life is either going to bring joy and it's going to be the aroma of Christ to make people say, I want more of what you've got because they've been born of the Lord or it's going to actually harden them in their darkness. But brethren, because we are light in the Lord and we walk in the light, that's the effect we're going to have on people. We are living epistles, Paul says, read by all men. Do you see your life as a living epistle? And therefore, I invite my neighbors, I invite people wherever I go, you know what? Look at my life and read this living epistle about the Lord Jesus Christ and this God who is light. Secondly and lastly, there's not only a, a familial fellowship because we are of God, but there's a functional fellowship. John describes it here as walking in the light. The idea of walking in the light simply means of walking in the truth, the reality, the beauty, the glory of who God is day by day. It means following the light of the world. Jesus says in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. If any man walks and follows after me, he will not stumble in the darkness. It means that we are royal priests. Why don't you turn to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. Because I think this is really the idea of where this comes into play most for us. You know, we, we, we toss that phrase about a lot, you know, in this con- congregation. It's like, well, we're royal priests. But I want us to think a little bit about the implications of that. Because, brethren, in the Old Covenant, to be a priest, you know, they could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year, the Day of Atonement, and even for fear of their lives, with sacrifice, Right? The way was shut. The radiance of God was unapproachable. The only way they could even draw near was through bloods of bulls and goats, which could never cleanse the conscience, which could never actually really take away sins. There was this pervading sense that, you know what? I've offered the bulls and the goats. But for those who were righteous, there was always pervading understanding a better sacrifice must come because the bulls and goats can cover over the offense, but they don't change me. Those who were looking for the Lord were waiting for a better sacrifice that would do something about the inside. But, brethren, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, which we're there, he says, Coming to Jesus as to a living stone that was rejected indeed by men, this is verse 4, but has been chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones, you're being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Look down at verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, so that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's the issue right there. Brethren, what's happened for you and me as priests is that you and I, the Bible tells me in Hebrews that the veil has been torn asunder. You and I 
have been given robes of righteousness. Jesus, our high priest, has gone in before us and opened the veil so that day after day, as priests, we get to enter into the holy place, into what Moses could only dream about, right? We get to fellowship with God and with his people. And the reason for that is that because we have been called out of darkness into his excellent light, that means that we now have a vocation. That we are priests. We are to be priests who represent God to the world and who represent those in the world and the church to God, right? Priests pray with four people. They bring petitions to the Lord and they take the word of the Lord and they bring it out to people in the world. Priests bring the blood of Christ to bear that makes things clean. Priests walk before they enter the holy place, the holy of holies. What do the priests do? They eat of the bread of life. They, to use Jesus' analogy here, they stand in the holy place outside of the holy of holies and they behold the light. Right? What was in the holy place? The showbread? The, the menorah? Or the lights? And then before they go in, before the veil, there's the altar of incense where we pray. The sweet incense of Christ going before the Lord as we enter into his light. But brethren, the idea that you and I are royal priests, we're holy priests, means that you and I are the ones through whom the light of the world shines. And we bring the, as we read earlier, the glory of the nations into the presence in the city of God. We represent and minister to the world in Jesus' name and the name of the triune God, and we bring our prayers and praises to the Lord into His presence on behalf of those of His people and those who we are seeking to bring into His kingdom. So it's a ministry of intercession. It's a ministry of reconciliation. And it's all true, though, of us because we walk in the light, because we are light. So we magnify and glorify God. We display His glory like a city set on a hill, Jesus said, which cannot be hidden. A candle, a lampstand, a candle on a lampstand which must not be covered by our lives. We manifest His light by being holy and pure. One more passage, Ephesians 5, because this is a really key thing I want you to see here. What does it look like then for us to walk in the light? It's probably the best description you're going to find in the New Testament right here. Ephesians 5. I'm just going to read verse 1 to 14 and make a couple comments here. Paul tells us what it looks like to walk in the light. Number one, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. So our God is light. Imitate him. Walk in love as Christ has loved us, given himself for us, as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. That idea we were talking about earlier, that our lives are a fragrance of Christ. On the other side, because there is no darkness in God at all, there must not be in us either. Look what Paul says. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. 
neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. You see what he's saying there? Because God is light, moral virtue, excellence of character, glory and virtue, you too be light. And that means because God is no darkness at all, you who follow him or in him be done with darkness. That's what Paul is saying. Continue on. He says, For this you know, verse 5, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater. An idolater is somebody who worships a false god, right? An idolater is somebody who worships a god who is not light. A god who is not the truth, beauty, glory, goodness. So, fornicators, unclean persons, covetous people who are idolaters, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. They have no fellowship, to use John's vernacular. They have no fellowship with the Father and His Son. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Nothing to do with darkness. Go on. For you were once darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable, what is pleasing idea there to the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. You see the paradigm here. You're light. So walk as children of light. You were once darkness but not anymore. So have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what light does. It exposes. For it's shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead. Christ will give you light. Brethren, that is what it looks like to walk in the light. Light your world by your good works, by the love, the light, the life of Christ in you. Draw near to the Lord like, you know, go to the Mount of Transfiguration day by day and look on Jesus. Look much upon Jesus. Meditate upon Jesus. Set yourself, as John's going to say later, to purify yourself as he is pure. Ask the Lord, God, would you give me grace to be strong and courageous as I am light and to walk in your light, to not shrink back from darkness because my light is actually exposing and it's calling people to either follow in the light or it's going to harden them. But Lord, you have given me light. Give me grace to embrace what I am. And I tell you, brethren, the reason why so much of the Christian church today is so fruitless and ineffectual is because despite the fact that they may have light, they are not embracing the reality that they are city set on a hill. They don't want to be. <laughs> they don't want, they want to have their lamp covered over. 
we are to use Jesus' words like saltless salt that is being trampled underfoot of men. Brethren, the kind of church that's going to light the world and change the world is a church that says, Jesus is Lord, God is light, and we are not ashamed to walk in that light. And we're going to call everyone around us to walk in the light with us. So with that end, don't even turn there. This is where I close. Let me just read this and say amen. This is what I love in 2 Corinthians, the way Paul describes this here. He talks a lot about glory. And let me just close with these verses. Here's what I'm calling you to do today, brethren, to walk in the light. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the light of the Lord, day by day, we are being transformed into that same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 4. speaks there of those whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So brethren, there it is. The Lord is going to shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of God through you. Your call in the Lord to walk in the light, as He is in the light, is to, with unveiled face, day by day, beholding the glory of the Lord as in, the, as in a mirror, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Brethren, you desire to be light to the world. You embrace your calling as light. And do you embrace that that means then that in us we must flee from the darkness, have nothing to do with the works of darkness. Our God is good, our God is glorious, and He calls us by faith to share with Him in His glory and enter Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word this day. I thank you, Father, that you are light, and in you there is no darkness whatsoever. Father, the reality is, is that we who are children of light, who have been born by your life, and who have seen this great light, we wouldn't have it to be any other way. Father, we rejoice that you are altogether pure and perfect in all of your ways. We rejoice that every word, thought, and deed is righteous and godly, that you yourself are the very definition of glory, and that in your life we see light. So, Father, help us today, we pray. We do, as we said earlier, we tend to shrink back from shining faces. We tend to shrink back from the light. But I pray, Father, today that you would give us the grace to walk into the light to let your glory expose us and transform us so that we might have fellowship with you and that our joy may be full. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.